Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right, good. And um, I want to echo uh, what Jamie said about the harvest offering. I mean, again, I shared last week, I was floored when I saw the, the total that came in and just humbled and so just proud of this church and proud of you and the generosity that we get to share. And I wanted to share that a need already came up that we get to use this money for. Um, the school district reached out and gave us, I believe it was 19 kids that said they, they weren't going to have Christmas this year. And so we get to use part of that harvest offering to bless these families and, and make sure these kids have Christmas. So that's just one of the things that we get to do and the way we get to be a blessing uh, to this city and this place. So thank you so much for being that. And I also think it's great that the school district is reaching out to us and saying, you know, hey, there's needs that, that we know you guys want to partner with us and you guys are here. And um, I've got to meet with some of the principals and it's, it's so fun to see this relationship brewing and building and the impact I know that we're going to get to have in the school here is awesome. So thank you for all for what you do. Um, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. And this is just a, a small portion of what I know he's going to do with these funds that come in. So thank you all for that. Uh, let's pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for, uh, for your generosity, for your peace, for your love, for your joy. God, I pray that uh, today we get to really experience you and that you fill this place. God, I pray that nobody that, that walked in these doors today is the same when they leave because they had an encounter with you. God, you touched them, you spoke to them, and God, we just everything we do today magnifies and glorifies you. We thank you, God, who love you, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, today being the third week of Advent, we're going to talk about joy. Now, um, often in church, you, you've heard people talk about joy, and sometimes people will intertwine the word and use happiness as well. And, and today we're going to talk about joy and happiness, but also how there, there's similarities, but there's differences, whereas uh, happiness, although similar, it's, happiness is like a fleeting feeling that can come. Something can make you temporarily happy. Like I know that sometimes uh, someone will give you a gift, and it can make you really happy, and then um, something happens to that gift, and your happiness is now gone. You know, or um, this, uh, just this week, um, my daughter Aurora was testing the durability of our Christmas tree. And she was running around, and she tripped and went full on, boom, and then the tree went, whoa, down. And, and I remember some of the Christmas ornaments coming down, and I was just like, there goes my happiness. You know, as the tree was going down. Nothing broke except for the trunk of the tree, but we salvaged it. It's, it's still up for now. We'll see what happens when we get home today. But, um, but you know, happiness can, can come and go, but joy is that deep-rooted feeling that it's, it's far supersedes happiness. And I think one of the best examples I can give of joy is actually this right here. Yes. If you see Disney's Inside Out, this is joy. And in the movie Inside Out, she's one of the emotions. The, the whole movie takes place in, not the whole movie, but most of it takes place inside a little girl's head. And you get to see her emotions. You see, you see joy, anger, disgust, fear, and sadness. Those are the, the main emotions. And you see them interacting with each other in hilarious ways, and then it translates, and you see the girl and what she's going through and how they start going crazy inside of her head trying to control these emotions. But Joy is the forefront, the front runner of this movie. And she is the one, when everything is going crazy, she's trying to make light of the situation. She tries to bring everyone back to a, no, this is good, no, this is good. And I'm, I'm a pretty big optimist, so I really resonated just with her in the movie. No, this is okay. Things are falling apart. This is okay. We can save it. But that's her mentality through the whole thing. No matter what happens, she pulls through. She's the deep-rooted emotion in this movie that keeps the girl together. And I think for us, joy is our deep-rooted emotion that gets to keep us together. Now, in the movie, she does things uh, through core memories. These are the memories that you see with the kid that they, uh, they really resonate. This shapes who the girl is. Her core memories. What happened as a kid that shapes who you are? And Joy's whole mission in the movie is to preserve these core memories, but things start to fall apart. 
core memories start to fall apart, and Joy starts to realize that she cannot do it alone, that she actually gets to intermix in with sadness. She gets to mix in with anger, and you see how Joy starts to become a root for a whole lot of things, but Joy is present in all of these things. This is, one, like I said, one of my favorite Disney movies, and in fact, my youngest daughter's middle name is Joy, and I love that she brings me Joy most of the time. Not all of the time. <clears throat> She's hit, she hit the terrible fives this year, so we've got our work cut out for us. But I have some questions for all of us, questions that I hope that if, if I ask these, they'll start sparking some joyful thoughts in your head. You, you'll look back and think, this is, this is something that, that really sparks joy in my life. So questions, and you don't have to shout them out. I'm not going to ask anyone to, to raise their hand, but just think of what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear these. What is something that makes you smile? What is something that makes you smile? Husbands, I hope you all looked at your wives right now. What is a day that you'd love to go back and relive again? What is a day that you'd love to go back and relive again? What was a happy moment you experienced this week? Something this week. What makes you feel most alive? What makes you feel most alive? Maybe we have some adrenaline junkies in here. <clears throat> what makes your body feel great? What do you get to go out and do? Just what makes you, what gets your blood pumping? What makes you feel really good? What's a small miracle that you witnessed? Not just this week, but just in life. What is a small miracle that you witnessed? What gives you a surge of energy besides your coffee, besides Starbucks or Anthem or wherever you go? What gives you a surge of energy? What was one of your proudest moments throughout your life? What's one of your proudest moments? What's an idea worth sharing? And then last one, who is someone that you completely adore? Now, I, I hope that as, as I read these, you even had just some fleeting thoughts of something that brought you joy, something that even made you smile in your seat right now, but something that you look back on and you go, man, nothing can take that moment away from me ever. That was something that just sparked like, yeah, God, all the feelings came up again. Those are the things that really bring us joy, something no one can ever take away, right? Now, I love, have you guys, has anyone here ever been to Yellowstone National Park? I personally have, have never been, but a friend of mine does tours through there, and he sent me videos, and I've gone online and seen videos, and Yellowstone is beautiful from what I hear. And in the pictures I've seen, and the videos I've seen, just an absolutely gorgeous place. And it's such a unique place. It's actually, it's no wonder, it was the first national park established in the world. The first national park established in the world. President Ulysses S. Grant in 1872, that's, he captivated lawmakers when he set aside uh, Yellowstone as a protected treasure in the United States. Now, if you haven't been, maybe like me, you know, you've seen the videos, you've seen pictures, but you, you can see that it, and you know that it's an iconic part of American culture, of iconic part of just America in general. There's bison, bears, there's wolves, there's eagles, there's elk, there's wildlife like crazy and all sorts of smaller creatures. And then you get to see the mountains, and it's just beautiful what you get to see at Yellowstone. Now, there's waterfalls and rivers, but then there's something that everybody knows is there, and this is the draw. You know what I'm talking about, right? Old Faithful. Old Faithful is the draw. Everyone knows Old Faithful is there. And this is one of the many geysers at Yellowstone. Yellowstone has so much geothermal activity there, it's amazing. It sits on top of a super volcano. I know some people were just like, I want to go. Not anymore. You hear that volcano word. I mean, when we moved here, people said, you know you're moving close to a volcano, right? Yellowstone sits on top of a super volcano. All over the park, there's heat that brews, and it steams to its way through the surface and creates geysers. Now, the crazy thing is how many different kinds of geysers there are. And you, you can definitely see places, different geysers, but the big one everyone knows is Old Faithful. And actually, there's a, there's a clip here 
that you can watch of Old Faithful brewing and brewing until it erupts. Now, has anyone here actually seen Old Faithful in person? I've never seen it, and I'm very jealous now. But, but I see this video, and I, I see that you know, the, the steam starts to come up, and it just starts to build and build until the earth literally can't hold it anymore, and then this happens. It's the anticipation, right? <clears throat> and there it goes. But Old Faithful shoots so, so high in the air, and it's, it's, I love it because the earth literally can't contain the heat and water beneath it, and it just shoots through the air. And the earth is a pretty thick, solid crust, right? But this, this hole, this old faith, this geyser just shoots through because it can't be contained. It's the most famous geyser in the park. It can shoot up to 180 feet in the air. That's awesome. The geyser erupts about 20 times a day and doesn't do it as often as it used to. And they used to actually have it pinpointed. They, they would know at this time it's going to go off. Now they give you a window of hours. Like, hey, between this time and this time, and if you don't get there early enough, you're not going to get a good seat. Because lots of people, lots of crowds come to watch this thing erupt. And there are other geysers that are known for different reasons. There's also one called the Grand Prismatic Geyser. It's the largest hot spring in the U.S. And it emits colors when it erupts, colors left and right. And there's also small pools that bubble of air, and they occasionally shoot sprouts of superheated water. But there's also another one that I think is really, really cool. I've never seen these in person, but they're at Yellowstone as well. They're called mud pots. If you've ever seen a mud pot, you can check this. I've never seen one. You can check this one out here. These, I don't know if this looks disgusting or cool or delicious at the same time. Because, because when I saw this, I saw this, this is literally just mud with air. Again, it's kind of like Old Faithful, the air, it's, it's a slower brewing air, but it comes. And I was like, this reminds me of like jello pudding on the stove, when, not the instant stuff, but you know, when you're getting that ready. Or, or like if you were to uh, put your straw on a frosty from Wendy's and start blowing, there you go, right? You got mud pots. But these, similar to geysers, these have all these different colors depending on the minerals that are in them, but it's all this hot air that just can't be contained that slowly this time makes its way up until it starts bubbling through the surface. So why am I talking about geysers? I go from joy to geysers, right? Well, I think geysers, they remind, they're a lot like joy. Geysers remind me of joy. And I know it's weird, right? But I'm weird, I'm from California, so, so stick with me here. But I think, they put these two things together. Uh, geysers are similar to joy because joy bubbles. I believe when, when you have joy in your heart, it doesn't stay contained. Joy finds a way to get out. Joy finds a way to show the world that you are joyful, not just happy, but there is something inside you that you can't contain. Just like a geyser has something inside it, it cannot contain. For some people, this joy will erupt like Old Faithful. They go out and the world knows you are joyful. You are happy and you are screaming and you are going nuts. And the world's that, that person, you may even think that is crazy, but they are happy. They are full of joy. But for some people, it's like that, that mud pot. It's just slow boiling and, and bubbling but it's not something you can miss. You can still see. You can say, man, that person, they, they have joy in their heart. They may not be screaming from the rooftops. They may not be going nuts, but they have something inside of them that can't be contained that they share with those around them because it's so evident in their lives. Joy is evident, and I believe true joy is unable to be hidden for very long. As we talk about joy today on this third Sunday of Advent, if you've been with us for a few weeks, whether in here or online, you know we've been talking through Advent, and Advent means coming or arrival. And this season is marked with expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. It's not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that, that links the past 
It links the past where people were waiting for the Messiah to come. The present where we know Jesus was here and rose again. And the future where we know that we're waiting for him to come back. It's an all-encompassing season. It's an active waiting. It gives us the opportunity to share this longing and waiting for Jesus to return. Looking back at the celebration of hope that was fulfilled in Jesus' coming, all while looking forward to the hopeful, eager anticipation of his return. We wait, it's active, it's assured, but I love that it's filled with hope. And each week we've been talking about a different aspect of Advent. Hope, peace, and this week joy, and next week we'll talk about love. And through these traits, we're learning ultimately how we get to rediscover Christmas. In the midst of two of probably what some people would say the worst maybe years in their lives with the pandemic and politics and, and hate throughout the world, just craziness in the world, we get to look at rediscovering Christmas and see how Jesus is here. Despite the challenges, the hardships, the pains and difficulties we may be feeling, we get to celebrate hope, peace, joy, and love. Because Christ has come to be God with us, we, we get to experience this joy no matter where we go, right? We get to experience this joy in the hardships, and that's easier said than done a lot. And I, I know there's, there's a lot of people here that are going through some incredibly hard things. I've had a lot of meetings with people in the past couple months, um, people that, that often at times are discouraged. They say, man, this is happening in my life, and, and I mean some major life-changing events. There are people that are going through, through marriage issues, people going through job issues, people that are going through incredibly hard health issues, finance issues, people going through problems with their kids. And like I say, when I say these things, not, not just little things like, oh man, I had like, I was joking about my daughter Avery, you know, bring me joy most of the time, little issues with Avery, but, but I'm talking about some people sharing with me, there are some massive problems, big things that aren't solved with just the conversation. And trying to find joy in the midst of all that is not an easy thing. But I do know that in the midst of these things, we do get to find that joy. We do get to find Jesus there and allow him to brew deep inside of us to a point where it gets to explode because we're focusing on the joy of the Lord. There, there's a lot throughout the biblical Christmas story when you look through. There's a lot of joy. But it's important to know that this joy that we read in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 even is not found at the happiest of times. This joy when Jesus comes is not, and the world was great, the world was doing wonderful, and everyone was happy, and then Jesus come to make it even better. That's not how the story goes. It comes in the midst of discouragement. It comes in the midst of disappointment and grief, and in the midst of where, where even when Jesus making his announcement that he was going to come rocked someone's world in a way that could have been so bad, but joy still came through anyways. We're going to look closely at this today in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look a lot at Elizabeth and Mary. And we're going to talk about kind of the mother's joy that came with the announcement of Jesus. Now, Elizabeth and Mary, we get a mother's joy. Now, moms and dads in the rooms, I'm willing to bet you can vividly remember the moment you found out you were going to become a parent. I bet you can, you can remember, the, the, maybe not the exact date, but where you were, how the conversation happened, what happened in that moment. I, I know for me, it, it, it's a surreal moment, right? And whether it was a yay or a what moment, you remember that moment. Now, I know for me, I was, uh, was in California, and I was working. I was working at the church later than normal. But I came home, and Stephanie is sitting on the couch in the living room. The first thing she says to me when I walk in the door, she says, go look in the bathroom. I swear she said it just like that. Go look in the bathroom. I remember going, I left the toilet seat up. Uh, I didn't change the toilet paper. There's toothpaste in the sink. I didn't close the shower curtain. I, I, don't, I, I messed up. Oh, man. I, I remember going in just thinking, what did I do? And I walk in, and I see a pregnancy test sitting on the counter. And being the guy I am, I kind of look at it like, huh? I look at it, and it, it, it's just not resonating at first. I'm looking at this test, and then I look at the box, and it's like, oh! It, it hits me. And I run out of the living room, and I'm, I'm just, I'm like, 
we're having a baby. I'm jumping up and down. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're having a baby. And I look at Stephanie and she goes, (laughs) what are we doing? Why did we do this? (laughs) Did we make the right choice? I was like, it's too late now, it's happening. (laughs) And then I remember going, I'm gonna go get another pregnancy test, one that says yes or no. It's like, I'm not deciphering lines anymore. And, and that was my first experience when we found out I was going to be a dad. And ultimately, yes, she was joyful. <laughs> but it was the, we, we both experienced that shocking moment in a different way. But I remember it so clearly, the joy that I had when I knew I was going to be a dad. And I won't tell the whole story for the second for Avery, but same thing. When, when, that, when it happened, very similar reactions. But I was so happy. And we were both so joyful that we're having another baby. Now, in the Christmas story, we get to see joy, but we get to see it in a very unlikely place. So if you turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 through 7. And this story begins a little bit earlier than the birth of Jesus. This is Mary, Joseph, Jesus, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, and how an angel's going to give them the news that they're a part of this Christmas story. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says this. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abed... I'm not going to even pronounce that name right. Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. This was more politically correct, but in other words, they were old. They were really old and they couldn't have kids. That time had passed. Now, this short paragraph would have spoken volumes of information to Luke's original audience when he wrote this. We've got Herod. We've got the Roman king keeping the Jews under harsh Roman control. And these are difficult times. And in the middle of this difficult time of oppression and and basically slavery, we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of a priestly lineage. And they dealt in that day with a lot of religious corruption with the powers that be, with Pharisees and Sadducees and the political and religious leaders. There was a lot of corruption going around. But Zechariah and Elizabeth are a stark contrast to what's happening. They're described as righteous. They're blameless. They're faithful. And this is especially important with what Luke tells us next in the context of their story. They are old and they've never been able to have children. And this suddenly changes. This suddenly changes when the angel Gabriel shows up and tells them that they're going to have a son, a prophetic son, not just any son, but this son is going to prepare the way for Jesus. This is the guy that's going to start announcing to the world, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is here. Zechariah is so overwhelmed, he can't believe the news. And he, he, he asked the angel, like, really? No. Are you sure? I'm old. I don't know if I can do this. Is this the, it's, really? And the angel says, okay, here's your sign. You're not going to be able to talk until the child is born. This may have been a blessing for Elizabeth. I don't know. But you're not going to be able to talk until the child is born. And Zechariah is left writing and signing to everyone until his baby comes, telling them what had happened. It seems Elizabeth, though, she's a little bit quicker to believe this news. And when she becomes pregnant, she says this in Luke 1.25. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, there's actually an, an odd note in a previous verse that tells us that she actually went into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy. And I wonder if that had something to do with her saying disgrace in this page, this, this verse. She says, taken away my disgrace among the people. So for, for Elizabeth, the inability to have children, the inability to carry on the family name, this would have been a lifelong source of pain and sorrow and shame for her people. See, this was a big deal in that culture. 
great hopes of a young couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're together, starting their life together, and then people waiting, all right, so when is he going to have kids? When is this family going to start growing and continue on their family traditions? And then it doesn't happen. And then it doesn't happen, and you keep waiting, and you're unable, and it just doesn't happen. Those hopes and those dreams eventually start fading throughout the years as you repeatedly try to have a child and you don't. This, this young Jewish woman could have started questioning herself, especially getting questions from other women. People could have said, what's wrong with you? They could have, unqu- they could have questioned her unfairly, saying, what have you done that God has made you barren? You should be ashamed of whatever it is that you're not telling us. That was culture back then. So I can imagine Elizabeth in this disgrace that she has, her world getting rocked, literally rocked by saying she's going to have a baby. I can imagine her self-worth probably sinking as the years pass and hopes dimmed. And at some point, everyone declares her just barren and shamed. Maybe that's why she stayed in seclusion for five months. Maybe to let herself really understand this joy and what was happening personally and, and really take it all in that she was going to be a part of the greatest story ever told. Maybe it was to ensure that some pregnancy was going to last because she had failed so many times and had babies before. Or maybe she was just savoring things. We don't know. But I know that she acknowledged what the angel said and she was ready to go for it. Now, if we were watching a movie, it's, at this point, it's where the screen would fade and it would say, Meanwhile in Galilee, fly across the screen. Meanwhile in Galilee, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant and Gabriel makes another visit. This time to Mary. He's delivering the most miraculous pregnancy announcement of all, even more miraculous than Zachariah and Elizabeth. He tells Mary that she's going to give birth to Jesus. So now here's Mary receiving this news gracefully and willingly. And, but, but early on, Mary had to have known the challenges that were coming. I mean, Mary was young, really young. She wasn't even married yet. She was engaged. So she had to have known the scorn and the shame that was going to come her way that would face her family and her fiancé. When it became obvious, you know, you can only hide being pregnant for so long, that they weren't married yet, and she was pregnant. And how do you make people believe? How, how do you go and tell people, oh, yeah, it's all right. We're not married yet, but this is God's son. We're good. Who, who's going to buy into that, right? It, it, it's a source of how is this going to work? So Mary is now having this joy that she's doing something great for God in the midst of a time where she can be ridiculed and scorned. Even Joseph, her fiancé, didn't believe what he heard. When she took, can you imagine that conversation playing out? Joseph, we're getting married soon. I know, it's great, and I'm pregnant. What? Not the greatest news. Joseph, in fact, even said he was going to break it up with her. He was like, this is, we can't, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. He was going to do it quietly because in that culture, you could have a woman stoned for doing that. So the Bible says Joseph was going to break up with her, but in that culture, it actually would have been called divorce. It would have been divorce, and he said he was going to do it, but an angel appeared to Joseph and gave him the good news as well told him not to be afraid, to not be afraid to marry Mary. It's weird saying it that way, but to marry Mary. Luke tells us in uh, Luke one thirty nine, it says, Mary hurried to a town in the hill in the country of Judea. Mary must have heard about Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy as well. She's thinking, man, if anyone understands what's going on right now, it's got to be Elizabeth. I've got to go talk to her. And man, was she right. I love that in this story now, in the midst of Elizabeth, her husband not being able to talk because of what he, he had doubted the angel, Mary possibly facing ridicule for being pregnant and unmarried, they come together, and this is where the joy in the story, in the midst of the madness, the joy erupts. Luke tells us in, uh, I'm sorry, Luke tells us in his passage, Luke 1, uh, starting in verse 41, it says this, she, uh, Mary heard Elizabeth's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, it says this, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As, the sound of, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. What a relief this must have been to Mary, right? Can you imagine? I mean, her fiance even having his doubts saying, I don't know, the ridicule you may get from your family. Then she goes to someone else and says, hey, God told me this. And the first thing that happens is the baby leaps for joy and she's accepted and, and praised with, wow, God is so good. Look at what he's doing in your life. Can you imagine how the relief and, and joy Mary must have felt hearing this? She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry about being understood. All she had to do was say, hi. And Elizabeth knew what was going on. Even the baby leapt for joy. This was the encouragement that, that Mary needed. And then her joy burst through, just like that geyser. And in Luke 1, starting in verse 46, it says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with the good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The, this is a beautiful passage of scripture, and it's on a level of celebration and connection in the midst of miraculous events. But on another level, it's two expectant mothers sharing a deep understanding of the affirmation that's going to flow with the joy of the days that is ahead. No matter what's happened before, no matter what they're going to go through before they give birth, they're celebrating the joy of what God is doing in the midst of this situation. And I love that they get to find that joy in these hardships. There's so much we get to take away from this story, but I want to focus on a few things about how we can apply and experience our own joy. And the first is this. This may seem like a no-brainer, but it's okay to be joyful and happy. It's okay to be joyful and happy. I know we talk about the difference between, between joy and happiness, how happiness is that fleeting feeling and joy is the deep-rooted. You know, there are seasons where you may not be able to feel joy, but you'll feel happiness. And then there'll be those seasons where, where you may not feel happiness at all but you know you have that joy because God is in charge and you know that he's there. So it can it'd be kind of a weird statement to make that it's okay to be joyful and happy at the same time. John 16, 22 says this, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. And like I said, in, in the contrast to happiness, when we hear joy, it is two different things. Happiness can be fleeting. Joy is deeper. But often, often in our Christian culture, I, I've actually heard people say, you know, it, don't, don't be happy. Happiness is wrong. Just be joyful. And I'm like, oh, man, but so many things make me happy. So many things. I mean, I watch a Disney movie and it makes me happy. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if that movie brings joy to my entire heart and life, but it, make, but it makes me happy. And they make me cry all the time. You see me cry, I'll watch a Disney movie with me. It happens. Especially that one, Inside Out, like five times, all right? But... Joy and happiness, it's okay to fill both. It's okay to have them. I want you to know that because they're different does not mean one is wrong. They are both okay. It's okay to be filled with joy and filled with happiness. There's great joy in the Christmas season. There's great joy, and it's good to embrace and celebrate that joy. And it's certainly hard to find the right balance sometimes, especially, especially now, maybe this year. It's, it's hard to find that balance between joy and happiness because maybe things in your life right now are just not joyful. Maybe things in your life are just not happy. It, it's hard to find either one of those. 
But there may be those of you who find yourselves driven by obligation and busyness and even guilt in this season. It's okay if you're driven by those to stop, to say no. I was just talking to someone today who says it's, it's hard for them sometimes to say, to say no. It's okay to say no. It's okay to pause. It's okay to embrace the part of the season that just makes you happy. It is okay to embrace that. There, on the flip side, there may be some of you who find Christmas to be a very painful season, a very difficult season. Those of you who are hurting or grieving because of just life and circumstances, and, and you're not happy. There's things in your life right now where you say, you know what, if I were to look at my life right now, happiness is not there. You're discouraged. You're crazy. You're dri- being driven crazy by the year. It's okay to not feel happiness and embrace the joy that Jesus is in these things. Embrace the joy that knowing that, that happiness is that feeling that's gone, but no one can take away that joy that's there. Grab onto that joy, latch onto it, and know that God is with you in the midst of these problems. My point here is that our longing for happiness and our longing for joy, these are natural things. You don't meet very many people who just say, you know, hey, would you like to feel happy or joyful? Nope, just want to be angry my whole life. Even if people are angry, people don't, usually don't admit to that, right? They just no, I want to be angry. People typically want to find something that will make you smile. That's why they say laughter is the best medicine. It does so much for your life. Whatever season you're in, the important part is that you know where your source of this joy comes from, the source being Jesus. When you're riding that wave of happiness, when you're riding that whatever it is that just made you have all those fuzzies, you got all those feelings, man, embrace those. Embrace those and know that those can lead to something so much deeper when you find the source of where they come from. Don't let joy fade away. When happiness fades, latch onto that joy. Let it be the same. Let, just know that when that source of joy, where it comes from, that gives you strength. That's my second point, man. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not just the happiness of the Lord, not the happiness of the season, not, 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 not even the, the joy of the Christmas presents. It's the joy of the Lord is our strength. He, what, he's what gets us through these times. He's what gets us through all of the garbage we deal with. We get to find our strength in him and the joy that he brings with us. There's a great example of this principle in the story of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, and he was a leader who got permission from King Artaxerxes to return from exile and go to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem, starting with its walls. Now, this process was far more than just a return to a city. Far more because of the exile and slavery. I mean, Nehemiah was risking his life, even asking the king if he could go do this. But not only did he get the blessing to go, but the king gave him people and resources to build. And as he goes, he brings all these people. And in chapter 8, they all get around and they start reading the law of Moses together. And Nehemiah calls the people to remember and return to their relationship with God before they start their project. And as he does this, Scripture says that people start to weep. Maybe they're, they're tears of joy from some people who are like, they can't believe they're finally back in this moment. They were slaves, they were exiled, and now they're here, looking at their destroyed city, but filled with joy that now they get to rebuild. Maybe some of them could have even been tears from guilt or sadness, knowing that, man, they drifted so far from God that they were put in exile in the first place. But regardless, they were calling, Nehemiah was telling them to call upon the joy of the Lord to find their strength to do what they were about to do. Here's the beauty in the midst of this scene. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Everyone's like, amen, let's go. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Celebrate it. Enjoy it, Nehemiah says. We're going to celebrate that we're here. And, And why? Because this is a time not just of happiness, but this is a time of joy. We are home. We get to rebuild, and God made this possible. 
God has brought us back. He's restoring our city. He's restoring our hearts because the source of our strength is the very joy of the Lord. This is what fuels us. This is what sustains us. Our true source of happiness and that deeper happiness, joy, it comes from the fulfillment of what Jesus has done. The Christmas season of joy, because of the Messiah, he brought joy into the world. Joy that, like that geyser, we don't have to let it sit. We get to let it bubble. We get to let it erupt. But we get to share this joy with everybody else. It's our true source of strength. First Peter, or Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1 like this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Man, an inexpressible and glorious joy sounds like deep stuff, right? Sounds like stuff that's, that finds its source even deeper than our pain, even deeper than our sorrows, and, and even deeper than the problems that we feel like can bury us. The mountains that are really just molehills in God's eyes because he is the strength of joy that gets us through. It's a deep well that we get to draw upon no matter what we're facing, the joy and the strength of God. I'm not suggesting thing. I'm not saying this is a don't worry, be happy, put on a plastic face. I'm not saying, you know, when things are bad to go, how are things going? Oh, it's great. You know, just, you don't have to, to fake your, your happiness. You know, if, if you're hurting, let someone know you're hurting. If you're struggling, let someone know you're struggling. If you're in a season where you're not happy, let someone know you're in a season where you're not happy and let each other's strength, let, let us share in the strength of God together. Let us build each other's joy up because we know where that joy comes from. Sometimes joy will come rushing to the fountain with somebody like Old Faithful. Sometimes it's a thick, slow bubble to the surface, but it's there and it won't be contained. Wherever you find yourself today, let me encourage you, find the joy of the Lord. It can be felt no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're going through, God is there and you can find his joy in the middle of it. Which leads me to my my last point today. We can choose joy. We can choose joy. Believe it or not, it's a choice. You can choose to look for that joy in moments or you can choose to be miserable and let these moments totally overwhelm you. I'm not saying things aren't overwhelming. We all go through things that are hard, but in those moments, we can physically make that choice, emotionally make that choice to say, I choose to see God here. I choose to see his strength here. I choose the joy in this situation. There are a lot of uses of the word rejoice in the Bible. And it's not a word we use very often in our culture today, but it was used in scripture a lot. Rejoice comes from the verb, it's a verb form of the word joy, and it's an action or feeling of expressing joy and delight. A friend of mine in California would would say that phrase a lot when when life was hitting him. He would just stop and breathe and go, you know what, I choose joy. And he would say say it confidently too. And and hard things would be hitting him where the work was overwhelming him or he was going to lose his job. He would say, you know what, I choose joy. I choose joy. Doesn't mean I'm going to sit back and do nothing. This is going to be really hard, but I choose to be joyful in it. I'm not choosing to be happy in this moment. This is not a happy thing, but I'm choosing joy because I know that's deeper than what's going on right now. If you look closely at the word rejoice, you'll notice that it begins with the prefix re, right? Rejoice. And think back to, to grammar class. English is hard. But, but words that start with re, you'll remember this prefix means to return to, to once again, to go back to. So to rejoice is a return to joy. So when the Bible says rejoice in this, it's really telling us return to this joy. Return to what God is doing. Return, it's an action and a choice that we get to turn back and look into. And I like that for us. I like that for us that we say, man, we're rejoicing. You know what we're doing? We are returning to that joyful moment in God. We are returning to that moment that no one can take away. 
that nothing can take away because nothing can stand against Jesus. I believe, though, this is the only way that we're really going to find that true delight in our life and satisfaction when we understand the joy of the Lord that comes and that he brings. When we understand that, that happiness is okay, but the happiness can go, and we got to embrace that joy that we have. Whether we're buried in discouragement or maybe everything is going your way. Maybe as I say these things right now, like going through hard times, maybe you're the person sitting here saying, not me, life's good. Life is great. And I'm here to tell you today, that is great too. That, that's not a, man, find something to get upset about. Find something to mess you up. But that is great. But what that means too is you have an opportunity to be that joy for somebody else that's also struggling. We get to share in each other's burdens. We get to share in each other's hardships. And we get to share in each other's joy. Don't be too buried to let somebody else in to show you that joy. Sooner or later, we're going to have one of those days or one of those weeks or one of those years, like they say in the theme song to Friends. It's going to be one of those moments. But ultimately, in reality, we get to go to joy. And sometimes you may see those moments more often than you like. This year may have been bad, but that's where the re comes in. That's where we get to return regularly to rejoice, to, re to constantly recommit, to constantly revisit, to constantly relive that joy we have with Jesus. Whether it's rejoicing by, by refueling our tank or restoring our strength or, or renewing our spirits, we all get to go back to that moment and reconnect with Jesus. James says this, and he says it so beautifully in James chapter 1. In verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and I've got to admit, sometimes the last thing you want to hear when you're hurting is this. It's the last thing. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Some of you guys go, I don't want to rejoice right now. This stinks. This hurts. And, and James is not saying be happy about your trials and problems. I don't know of anyone that says something else happened horrible today. Woo! That's not our cheer, right? But he is saying in these moments, when these things come, when something happens that just messes up with your routine and your, your, it messes up with your mojo, you get to look back and say, you know what? I can find joy in this. I can find joy because my faith may be being tested, but I can persevere because God is doing a work in me and he is faithful and true and just and my joy is coming from him. We can find joy in it all. The bigger picture is that God is working for your good in every situation. Even when we can't see it, he sees it, he knows it, and it starts with our source in Jesus. In the difficult times, there's so much encouragement to be found in the rejoices. I love reading through Psalms. Psalm 13 is a, a great example. It begins with a painful cry in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? What a great conversation piece to start with God, right? Now, How long will you forget me? But then in verse 5, just a few short verses later, it reminds, But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I love that because that's the same stanza. How long, Lord, will you forget me? But I trust you and I love you and my heart rejoices because of what you've done. We get to do that in our hard times. We can cry out to God and say, God, what is going on? But I know you're there. But I know you're there and I'm gonna find joy in it. It's just one of many similar examples that we go through. I mean, the Psalms are honest and raw. No matter what you're feeling in life, you can find something in there. That if you're feeling angry and hurtful, you know what? There's psalms where they write angry and hurtful things. And then they always spin it back and bring it back to the loving, gracious love of Jesus. And it's so amazing that they get to find their joy in who is in charge. 
This is how we get to celebrate this season, as we remember to turn to Jesus, turn to the one who came to be joy for each and every one of us. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. I'd like to invite all of you to, to stand with me today as we come to a close. And everyone, let's... Uh, as, as we as we leave here today, and we're we're getting real close to Christmas, I know I probably I, as I said that someone probably just went I gotta go shopping, but we're getting real real close to Christmas. We're getting real real close to to this the day that we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But as we get there, let's remember let's rediscover Christmas. Let's embrace our joy. Let's seek our joy, not just in the seasonal trappings and traditions, not just in in the environment around us, but let's really constantly return. Let's rejoice to that real joy that Jesus is. Continue the process of rejoicing despite the pain and challenges. Let's heed the good news of the angels. Man, joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's not just joy to me, not just joy to you. This gets to be the geyser that we declare this season. Joy to the world. Say that, joy to the world. That Let that be your shout. And let's remember what Nehemiah said. Go and eat food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are our joy. You are our strength. God, so many people in this room, in this city, in this world are going through so many hard things. But I love that in the midst of the hard things, you're there. In the midst of the storm, you're there. And we get to look and say, man, this may not be a happy moment, but I can find joy because you are there. God, I pray that that joy resonates deep in our hearts. I pray it erupts like that geyser or bubbles like the mud pot, God, but it doesn't get contained. It's something we get to share, we get to embrace, and we get to scream from the rooftops. You are here and you are joy. Joy has come. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen.